Hello and welcome to The Double Life. I'm John Bustar, and this week, we visit Nairobi, Kenya, to spend some time with content creator Mwende Musao, an opportunity that I'm very grateful to have. Mwende reached out a few weeks back and asked to be a part of the show. I was obviously surprised and didn't expect to be presented with such a great opportunity to learn about a culture and a part of the world that I didn't know much about. We talk about traveling, tattoos, and most importantly, what it's like to be living in Kenya right now during a global pandemic and an unprecedented time in history. I'm honored to present the story of one of the most creative and kind-hearted people I've ever had the fortune of meeting. Enjoy my conversation with the very talented Mwende Usao of Kenya. everybody what's up how are you guys doing my name is Mwende Masao um I'm 22 years old I'm from Nairobi Kenya which is in Africa <laughs> um so I studied advertising in college um I have a bachelor's of communications degree I graduated this year class of 2020 in the middle of Rona <clears throat> like <laughs> yeah congrats it's, though it's Thank you. That's a milestone that's done. Um, so I'm a content creator. Um, so my name is Mwende, but my content creator name is Twenda Namwende, which in, in Swahili translates to let's go with Mwende. Mm. So um, I make travel content, tattoo content, and lifestyle content. Um, my favorite color is orange. I really like watching movies and um, I like music. I hope that's a good summary of who I am. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. No, for sure. That um, yeah. definitely gives me a little bit of a better idea, or at least, you know, the listeners more or less. But um, so when did you get into traveling and how has, you know, that impacted your life? Okay. Um, most people, first of all, have the stereotype that Africa is poor or most people don't travel. So I just kind of want to debunk that mm. stereotype. Mm -hmm. um, half of my family lives in Europe and America. So um, I started traveling when I was like two years old. I took my first international trip to Germany. Um, and then I've just been traveling ever since. So... I've been to 15 countries wow. so far in my life. Um, but yes, of course, Africa is, there's still a lot of like poverty and like um, a lot of issues, but it's not how the the media portrays it. Yeah. Sure. How do you, um, I guess, what was your childhood like growing up in Kenya? And I guess some things that you feel you know, people in like Western countries or Western civilizations may like have a, you know, misconceptions about growing up in Kenya and what, you know, your experience was like. Mm, uh, first of all, let me just like debunk all of those um, stereotypes. No, I don't see lions outside of my window every day. Mm. Um, we don't live with wild animals like in the street. They're in national parks. Mm -hmm. Um I grew up in an, by going to international school, so I was exposed a lot to um, 
you know, people from different cultures all over the world. Um, I, I did the British system, so I did IGCSEs and all of that. Um, so my life was pretty colorful and my parents had, um, jobs that made them travel quite often. So I was exposed to the world at a very young age. Um, and growing up, of course, like, you can't like take away the poverty from Africa, but you see it all around you. So I would say I had a privileged upbringing compared to what other people um, live with. But I just also want to say that, um, yes, we have Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> we <laughs> like there's so many misconceptions that I hear. Um, or yes, we live in houses, not huts. Um, it's pretty developed, not like um, Western society is, but it's getting there. And there's a lot of positive stories or positive things going on, except from what you see in the media. No, we're not just about Ebola and um, war and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Do you think that, yeah. um, I guess when you were growing up, did you see images of like, Western society or whatever? And did you ever have like a perception of how other countries portrayed or had a view of Kenya? And did you ever think about that when you were growing up? Um, of course. Um, I remember when there was a Westgate terrorist attack. So basically, um, Al-Shabaab, which is a terrorist group, came and attacked them all in Kenya. And the headline that CNN had was, um, Kenya is a hotbed of terror. So back in the day when there was a lot of terrorism, I guess it's just slowed down because of, you know, this whole situation this year. But we were portrayed as um, first a hotbed of terror, um, disease, um, poverty, war, everything negative. But there were no like positive stories about Africa in the media that people could be exposed to. And also thinking of Western culture, like I've traveled around Europe. I've seen how things are there. So for me, it exposed me to how things are past my country and like developments that there are in the world. I've also been to parts of Asia. Um, so it's, it's travel has actually opened my eyes um, to see how the rest of the world is. And I feel like even the listeners who are listening to this, if you come to Africa, if you come to Kenya, you'll see how it's completely different. People are so welcoming and so loving. Yeah, I hope that's answered your question. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think I just yeah. sort of want to get an idea of, you know, kind of what you're talking about. I think that's super important, too, yeah. is I come from a country that isn't necessarily portrayed super well in not just Western media, but just media in general, you know. And I think, you know, that's something that I resonate with. So what I would want more than anything else out of this episode is sort of for you to give the listeners an idea of what your life has been like. And I think kind of highlighting the similarities between, you know, um, yeah, the dreams and pursuits that you have and literally all my other guests who can be from all around the world as well, but they have similar goals and dreams and aspirations. So I kind of just wanted to highlight that. And, you know, I guess an important place to start would just be traveling and, you know, the first time that you traveled and what that experience was like. <laughs> okay, I I can't really remember when I was two um, traveling, but I I can talk about the first time I saw snow. Um, in parts of Africa, it doesn't snow. Despite there are parts that does snow, like um, 
um, South Africa, even in Kenya and Mount Kenya um, or in central Kenya does snow when it's the cold season, but not often. So the first time I really um, saw snow, I was seven years old. Um, I went to visit my family in Germany and I just loved the experience. You know, I loved how cold it was against my face and how I was just playing with my grandma. And it was a beautiful experience because when I was young, I've never really experienced racism. So mm. um, it was it was just a great experience. Yeah. You were so saying when you were me, young, you didn't experience sorry? what? What didn't you experience? Uh, racism. Racism. I know um, a lot of people have been... Uh, there's a whole Black Lives Matter and um, these issues are, are being brought to light. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't experience racism when I traveled for, like at, at, as a kid, basically. Right. Yeah. Did you yeah. feel like... Did you experience it before you traveled, like back home or, you know... In Kenya. Hmm. <laughs> Actually, the really messed up part is there's a lot of colorism in Kenya, which I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So for the listeners or anyone who's listening, um, I don't know why this is in Africa where the majority of people are Africans who are Black, but um, there's this whole light skin versus dark skin thing. So um, people with lighter skin tones who are still Black um, are treated better than people with darker skin tones who are mm. still black. Um, sometimes you can experience racism from um, the white people or the Indian people or the Asians in Kenya, but that's not, that's only like if you go to, um, let's say, kind of hotels in the coast or something like that. But um, otherwise, no, you would not, like if you're a foreigner coming into Kenya as like whatever origin, like, I don't know why, I think it's just from colonialism. Mm. Those those thoughts are there or how we treat other people. But um, no, it's not really rampant. It's not like maybe how it's perceived in the West or how it actually is there. Yeah. Sure. So from a young age, um, I guess, did you, you went to Germany at a young age. Did you go to a bunch of different European countries? And then how was, like, what was that opportunity like? Was this something cool to be able to experience that? Or when you came back to Kenya, did you get any sort of like weird backlash from your friends and stuff being like, oh, you know, jealous of you going and traveling? Um, well, some of the friends I had also used to travel. Mm -hmm. um, when, when I was young, I went to Italy. I went to um, Venice. I went to Bergamo, Rome. I went to all these different countries. Like, destinations in Italy and then I also went to the UK as well um so I mean obviously people were people were quite supportive of my journey yeah and also I was supportive of their journey as well mm. so it wasn't like there was any jealousy but right. obviously if you if you tell people from if you tell people like who don't live the same kind of lifestyle that you're living. Um, it's you will experience that. But I feel like the one thing that's there in Africa is the obvious differences. So um, there's extreme poverty where you see, you know, like how in the U.S. you guys have poverty, like they're poor people, but they still have. Um, sorry, there's a bit of movement around me. I'm sorry. Oh, you're um, fine. No problem. 
um, basically, you know how you guys um, have unemployment checks and you have unemployment benefits right. in Africa. It's not like that. Like if you're poor, you're poor. Like there's no, <laughs> there's literally no one to come and help you. There, the government won't help you. You have people living on the streets. Sorry about the noise. You have people living on the streets. You have people living in slums. Kenya is home. Nairobi is home to the biggest slum in Africa. So mm. you see the differences and you see politicians who live very lavishly and they get to send their kids to schools abroad and stuff like that. So there's extreme differences. Did yeah. you view it when you were young? Did you, what was your, I guess, view on that? I mean, you said you came from a little bit more of a <clears throat> relatively more privileged upbringing. Did you view, you know, when you saw the poverty on the streets and, you know, children that were, probably around your age and everything, how did that impact you? And did that like have any sort of, you know, um, lasting impact to who you are now? Um, we did a lot of community service in my school. Mm -hmm. We tried to help a lot of people who were from um, a less privileged background. And I feel like that's also something that's not captured in the media, that Africans do help other Africans who are needy, who are going through, you know, hardships so it it's very sad when you hear people like the kind of stories you hear the kind of <laughs> the kind of sadness or the hardship that people live with it breaks your heart and even as a kid you I used to go with my parents to um the local orphanage and donate my clothes or my books or any of the used things that were there so doing things or charitable acts in my life helped at least. And also other Africans did a lot of that. So it's not only donor foundations like the UN or Red Cross or, you know, any of those big names that mm -hmm. do things in Africa. Africans also help <clears throat> each other. Yeah. Definitely. So with your, when did you want to start doing like uh, the more art side of things as far as, vlogging and videotaping and documenting your travels, what was the initial push for that? What made you want to go into it? And sort of what is your, I guess, goal now that you're doing it? Okay. Um, so with travel and everything, people in college used to ask me, how do you travel to X country? How, how do you afford to go to X? You know, um, how much do you spend? How do you get the cheapest flights? How do you get this accommodation? So mm. since I used to travel a lot, um, I decided that I was going to start a blog. So my content creator journey actually started with a blog, um, which has the same name, Twenda Namwenda. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, um, people started requesting me to have my blog in visual form. They're like, we love your stories, but, or we love your tips, but we would, lo we would love to see them in a visual form and i don't know how many of you in the audience actually like read more than you watch um but i know a lot of people prefer to watch things and read which yeah. is unfortunate but right. mm -hmm. <laughs> which is unfortunate but um that's how i got into vlogging with my blogs and my blog yeah nice um and also sorry just to take you back you had said something about africans having the same aspirations that people in the west have I mean, everyone here 
has the same dreams. Like, for example, people want to be famous. They want to be in Hollywood um, or they want to be a big sports star. You know, they want to be in uh, La Liga or the mm. English Premier League. Mm-hmm. Like people have the same dreams. Even um, just having a normal house with Wi-Fi and electricity and running water, people have the exact same dreams um, that people there have. Yeah. And especially with Wi-Fi and the internet and how it's connected all of us around the world, like you had said before, um, people are really becoming more interconnected, learning about each other's cultures and stuff. So I think that's amazing. Hopefully one day they can achieve those things. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I totally agree. Do you think that with, um, I don't know, you're, do you see this as when you initially went into your blogging, were you really into like writing and documenting it? Or is that something that you didn't necessarily do a, a lot of writing before you started your blog? Actually, I used to write like poems and short, short stories. Mm. I don't know. I've always just liked to write. It's just tell my story or tell different stories. So it really made me happy when I could write stories about travel or like articles that would help people in a funny way, you know, not just you're going to, let's say Canada and you're going to go and see the, you know, you're going to see um, Toronto or, you know, like those things, it would be kind of like um, an interesting way. So I use my storytelling skills to feature also in my blog to make it more interesting. Hmm. I haven't blog I haven't been blogging though for a while. I guess with everything happening this year and um, you know the travel restrictions. Um, yeah. But but I want to get back into it. Definitely. Yeah. Do you see yourself? I mean, maybe doing other types of like vlogs and blogs as well instead of just outside of traveling. Um, do you, like you said, you're more into tattoos and different things as well. Do you want to incorporate that, you know, during these times where maybe it's harder to travel, you know, and it's, do you think, you know, you see other avenues that you want to go down? Yeah, definitely. I've been doing more tattoos now, um, uh, tattoo content. I've been doing more lifestyle content. Um, so basically just trying to do more than just travel because right now people don't really want to consume that kind of content because they can't really go the, mm. to the places that they want to go or if they're going to the places they want to go it's so risky and everybody's telling them no don't do that yeah so diversifying my content is key and also i i just want to talk about how um content in africa is viewed very differently from content in the u.s Mm. So, um, yeah. So like you guys can actually make a living. You can make a living from your content, you know, like the bigger you grow with, um, with Western views, let me say the more you can sustain yourself. But Mm. in Africa, you're more of a starving artist to say the least, like your content cannot pay you. So Mm. like for me, um, even in the future, how I would want to like move to America or to the West to kind of like sustain me would be important for me. Yeah. Dang. Why do you you see like the problem with, um, I don't know. I mean, do you want to do anything to, I guess, do you see any future where people in Kenya can be 
able to monetize their work the same way that we do in America? Do you see, do you think people just don't, you know, those companies that pay for this sort of content, do they not look at Kenya? Do they not look at other countries? Do they mostly focus on America and Europe? I think, you know, the, the people who have the capacity to spend money mm. the most Mm-hmm. come from those areas that's the reason why um maybe uh, yeah, yeah. they wouldn't spend as much here mm. because you see like people who live in privilege are maybe like um let's say 10 to 15 percent of the population i'm not so sure half of africa is living without electricity like there are so many there's so many intricate issues that are there when you look at the mass scale of africa even let's not even look at kenya um, the kind of problems that people face, access to clean water, Wi-Fi, things that people take for granted really um, are still the issues that majority of people are fighting. So like if you think of like an advertiser, why would you go to a place that has majority of like people who can't afford, but instead you go to a place where people have a um, higher spending power so, like, I can give an example of, do you know um, Lupita Nyong'o? I don't know if you, if you know her. Who is it? Um, she's a Kenyan actress, but she's, she moved to Hollywood, um, to the U.S., and she ha- actually has an Oscar. Oh, um, what was her name? Lupita Nyong'o. She was in Black Panther. Um, she's been in a lot of oh, yeah. movies. Wow, okay. Yeah. So, um, she also had to move there to really like fulfill her dreams. So a lot of Kenyans have aspirations, even Africans just have aspirations of making the move because as a creative, you can't really, you can't, it can't work here. And also another reason is that our our system is so corrupt, like politics in Africa, or let me just speak for Kenya, it's so corrupt. So we don't protect our own content creators, like our musicians or mm. our actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they don't get paid what they should. Mm. So they have to find other means to survive. So, for example, you can be a musician and you can be the top of your country, but you still need a nine to five job to pay your bills. Right. Because your art, your art is not paying you. Yeah. And. I think um, it sucks. Right. It sucks. No, totally. Of course. And I think it is very, I don't know, it's damaging to the youth of, you know, any country that's like that because their dreams and aspirations to, I guess, make content and um, create stuff is limited to the fact that they, I don't know, I, I guess it would be discouraging to think no matter how good or how great your work is, unless you move to yeah. America or a European country. Yeah. No one will, you know, support it. That's, you know, super and disheartening. It's so, it's so unfortunate because the majority of people in Kenya, like the the median age is 19 years old. Wow. Like Africa has the highest capacity of young people in the world. Yeah. Most of the people here are so young and have energy and are vibrant, but there are no opportunities because of high unemployment rate. This was of the, the issues of our leadership, you know, mm. um, there's a lot of nepotism, corruption. There's, there's, I mean, if I spoke about our issues with the government, it would, it would take a whole day, but sure. it, it's just so unfortunate that we, 
we have so much talent and we have such dreams, but you know, people have to migrate um, to really fulfill them. And you see that with examples from people, you know, who come from their country or even other Africans that are doing such big things. They were like, did they really have to move to, you know, fulfill their dreams? Yeah. So that, that's a lot of game doing from Mm -hmm. Africa. Yeah. Do you, um, I guess speaking on current, you know, things, especially movements that are happening in America with the Black Lives Matter movement and different things like that, that are, I guess, awakening, you know, not only America, but sort of, you know, other Western civilizations to the idea of, you know, injustice and different things. Do you see this as, you know, from coming from Kenya, do you see this perspective in America? Do you think that it's a something that might actually bring about positive change? Or do you think that this is once again a cry for social justice that will not be heard by the leaders of these countries? Ooh, that's, a, that's, that's quite a tricky question because I feel like what they're talking about with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, it is credible. It is, it is a reality that so many Black people in America live to face every single day. It is the injustice of the system that they've been living in. But when we talk about change, you know, real change comes with the people in power. Um, so do I think that the change will actually be implemented? I feel like it depends on who you guys vote for because mm. all these injustices that are happening, honestly, despite how bad they are and despite how much people want change, as individuals, we cannot create change unless we elect better. Mm. So like for us in Africa, like when the whole George Floyd, um, I can't breathe thing like was, you know, was all over social media. Mm-hmm. Um, we also started realizing there's so much police brutality in Kenya as well. And we also, it helped us shed light on our issue with like how the police system is so corrupt and how they're so you know, how, how they really look down up upon the poor mm. and mistreat them and kill them in cold blood and how these issues are so related from Western civilizations to African civilizations. So um, I think for all of us around the world, for anyone listening, we are the change we wish to see with our votes. Because if we don't vote the right way or if we don't change the people in power, then none of these changes will, re- will really be implemented. And mm. the worst thing is that so many people can cry and complain and talk about it, but if you know they don't make the right decisions with their ballots, like it's just going to be something that's talked about for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. I think that was, you know, very well said. With people, um, I guess, speaking on the side of like voting and different things like that, um, political, I guess, to an extent, but not too political, more on the side of, um, uh, isn't Barack Obama's father, isn't he originally from Kenya? Yes, he is a Kenyan. Right on. He is a Kenyan. When, um, Barack Obama was elected, what, what did that look like in Kenya? And, um, I guess, how was that received? It was huge. Like we were claiming him like his tribe, the Luo tribe, um, and where his brothers live and his his half sisters, like it was a whole party. Like it was huge. 
everybody was like, oh my gosh, that's our, our president, that's our guy. Mm-hmm. And then I remember <laughs> like Nigerians were trying to steal him. They were like, oh, he's from Nigeria. We're like, nah, he's Kenyan. Like, what are you talking about? Wow, <laughs> what are you awesome. talking about? He's, he's Kenyan. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was really big. Even when he came to Kenya, when he was the president, like it was on all of our news stations. Mm-hmm. Everybody had them preparing for him for like weeks. It was huge. We were so proud of him. And as Kenyans, we felt like, you know, someone of our own, like not really our own, but like, you know, of our origin is really doing something. Mm. <laughs> and I remember even after he left office, some people in Kenya were like, he should come and lead us now that <laughs> he's done with, like, he's mm-hmm. done with some America. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you see that yeah. as something where, I guess before when you were talking about, um, I don't know, just like the limitations of feeling like you can create art but not be able to be successful unless you go to America, did the election and I guess, you know, Barack Obama becoming president, did that, was that opening, I guess, I don't know, did that shed a different light or create a new reality for a lot of people? It did. It did. Because even like for Americans, the fact that there can be a black man Mm -hmm. as a president, like that was a groundbreaking event. Like, I mean, for years since since the country was founded in the 1700s, like black people were slaves from Africa. So like even the fact that that he was a president like it was huge and for kenyans we were so proud that it was someone of like kenyan origin that the case his roots back to us like it was a really 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 big deal and also like how you see how you see your dreams happening on a kind of global scale because i don't know why this happened but like if something happens in america the whole world will know about it you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know why but it is like that. So people always think if you can make it in America, you practically made it everywhere. Yeah. Wow. That's good, though. I think that is, I mean, pretty important. It's really, I guess, somewhat striking to see. One thing that you said specifically was in Kenya, you guys were claiming him and saying he's our president, <laughs> which I think is so beautiful. Yeah. You know, Because right yeah. now we're in such a, I don't know, it feels such like an opposite sort of situation where even Americans are like, we are not claiming this man as our president, you know, currently. And that is such a different tone from people across the world claiming someone to be their president and like, you know, the optimism and the change and I guess, you know, just positivity that he sort of, you know, opened the eyes to. And then, yeah, and now we have something... I was just going to say, like, generally in the world, there's a very negative tone right now with everything going on um, from coronavirus to, you know, the whole um, police brutality and injustice all across the world. And Mm -hmm. it's like every single day you go on your phone or you're on Twitter or you see the news. It's just there's nothing positive. You know, it's like we're all drowning in negativity from our leaders to our you know, like these issues that are happening all around us. So I feel like if we, as the world, as human beings, we need something positive, you know, to uplift us. And like I said before, it's up to us. Like, it's really up to us because 
in the U.S. and I'm even I'm sure even in Kenya, like the negative politicians have a huge amount of following, right? Mm. So um, it's up to the people of tomorrow, like the future generations, for us to make our voice heard with the ballot. Because even if we go to the streets and we protest and we oppose the system in power, can that create real change? Unless we have someone powerful or someone strong like that we choose to lead us. Yeah. So I feel like it's just about like maybe putting differences aside. Because mm-hmm. like even with um I know with your elections that are coming up, um I don't know, it's not like the days of Obama when you like the Democrats just chose Obama, you know? Like yeah. right now everybody wants to like take their own kind of selfish ambitions instead of thinking of the greater good. Mm-hmm. So if we could like sacrifice maybe our selfish interests and choose somebody who stood for all of us, um, maybe just generally um, there would be real change. Definitely. Do you, um, I don't know, as someone who um, I guess has voting been something important in your life and how has that been seen? And, you know, I think has it been something that is important amongst, you know, your parents and your grandparents? And how does that look over there? <laughs> oh, sorry, I just even have to laugh. Like in Kenya, your vote is literally everything that you are. It's just, it's really annoying how we take politics. So it's so emotional. Like it's even, you know how you guys will vote. Like, for example, you guys passed in the, Trump administration, but really things are not like the government still has its processes. So he's just the president figure, mm-hmm. but like there's still a system in place. Right. So like yeah. he can't take he can't take the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Like with with us in politics in Africa, I can speak for Kenya. A, a politician, a, a a politician is basically the government. Mm. So for us, it's big 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 stakes because the the big stakes are involved because um when a politician comes in he'll put his own people in power in kenya we have 42 tribes so um when the ruling tribe wins or the winning tribe wins they put in all their people in power and then the other like the other tribes they don't benefit you know Mm. um so it's like (sighs) I don't know, politics is based on one person and they have the power to control the country. Right now, we're swimming in debt um, from from left to right. It's crazy. And I, I don't know, it's just so unfortunate. Really. It's really so unfortunate because my grandparents and my parents in the last election, we were all forced to vote. Like I, I was forced to vote for somebody that didn't even win, first of all. And it was just like the same kind of regime that's been there that mm. is doing nothing for people. Mm-hmm. So I feel like at least with you guys in the West, I would rather pay taxes there because I know that I'm going to benefit somehow. Even if it's small, like I feel like people out there should not take for granted like the things that your systems do for you. Here you pay 30% tax and you know, all of that is going to some guy who's sending his child to the U S and Harvard probably. And that's where the fees is going. Mm. You don't. So, so it's so unfortunate because here you really feel the pinch of how your money is just being used and abused. But there at least you see like your healthcare is working. 
is working for you or you get some benefits, you know, but here it's, it's like every man for themselves. Yeah. It's a man eat man world. Uh-huh. Yeah. You have a, I don't know, when you say all of that, I think of older people in America who, I don't know, people my age, you know, like younger people who are able to vote and happen to be the most vocal people when, you know, they're voicing their opinions about, you know, disliking something or advocating for something. But when it comes to actually implementing the change and what they're advocating for and going to the polling stations and voting, they decide not to do that. And that's why we have the person in power that is in power, you know, and it becomes something where we have this, um, I don't know, like a whole generation of people, multiple generations, well, I guess not multiple generations, but generations of people who have grown up and taken voting and stuff for granted and have a very different point of view than the one that you have. Do you have a, I guess, um, I don't know, what would you say to those people? I would say to them that at least there, you know, your vote's not going to be stolen or your vote actually matters, you know? So whatever you do, go and vote and make the change that you want to see. Even if you lose or you don't lose, um, just go out there and try. For us here, like in Kenya, so many people have given up on voting because the amount of theft that happened in politics in Kenya is ridiculous. Like, I'm so sure the ballots of our next election in 2022 have been written with, like, millions of the fake winner on them. Like, it's it's that bad. Mm. So here, you know, like, even if you cast your vote, like, <laughs> unless you're voting for the majority, mm. it's really, it's really not even, it's not worth it. So even our young people here, a lot of them have stopped voting because they're like, even if I vote for this person in power, they won't help me. Mm. How are you helping? You're not creating any jobs for me. You're keeping the country poor. You're giving us debt. You're giving us so many problems or you're selling us to neo-colonialists. Mm. So it's just just a whole mess. I don't know who's going to save us. But if you have, if you come from a country where your systems are, are working like the U.S., go out and vote. Be the change you want to see. Because at least you have some kind of impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. Um, let's, uh, I guess, switch to a little bit of a lighter note with um, traveling and your blogging and, you know, the yeah. stories. Um, what was yeah. your initial, like, feeling when you went from writing it and then people were asking you to videotape it and everything? Were you excited? Were you like, oh, cool, you know, people are listening to what I'm creating and responding to it in a positive way? Um, was that awesome? No, it wasn't. I was so, so scared to go into vlogging because I did not know how to edit any video. First Mm. of all, Mm -hmm. I'm self-taught like those YouTube tutorials. Like that's me. I did not know how to edit any videos. Also like YouTube is very, um, it's about consistency. Mm-hmm. So you have to post a couple of times a week. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to show up for like a month or, you know, you need yeah. to be more consistent. So it made me level up a lot, which was good. So like that fear turned into something constructive, Yeah. which I, which I'm grateful for. And yeah. also to anybody who's listening, I think it's really important to do the things that scare you. Yeah. Despite what anybody says, like even you with your podcast, I'm sure like when you started this, you're like, oh my God, who's going to listen? Like, mm-hmm. My voice maybe sounds strange. Because yeah. I remember when I was on video for the first time, like 
I mean, having your face on YouTube, like it's, there's some angles it looks like, you know, it's not all pretty, but yeah, you just get sure. used to it. Mm-hmm. Get used to it. Like even now, I'm sure you've got a new skier voice on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Where, like It's not cringe or yeah, something like definitely. that. So yeah. So I feel like you just need to do the things that scare you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, um, I guess initially before you go started going into, I guess the vlogging thing would be a little bit more, I guess, extroverted in a way when you were doing your yeah. writing and doing your traveling and stuff, did you feel like you were more introverted and now with vlogging, has it allowed you to come out of your shell more and be more extroverted and Oh my gosh, no. Like I feel like I've always been an extrovert. Okay. I'm that girl who used to like talk the loudest in class and always have my hand up because I always had something to say. Like I just I talk too much. Mm. I don't know if it's a gift or it's a curse, but like I'm super extroverted. Sure. But when I was um when I was starting to vlog, it made me more comfortable with my face um on a camera. It made me more comfortable with my voice. Also, it helped me deal with like my insecurities because I was, you know, like I wasn't so confident on camera. I wish I could show you guys my very first vlogs. I was, I was shaking. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? What am I doing? It was, I was hesitating a lot. Mm. So, um, now like just being more comfortable with myself and my art on camera really helped. Did you, um, what made you so, nervous about the camera initially if you're you're saying you've been extroverted and you like to talk and you know it wasn't too difficult to be extroverted and outgoing what made the camera what you know element did that camera add that made you i guess change your demeanor and make you nervous and anxious about it oh my gosh uh, <laughs> sorry i keep saying oh my gosh but like um i would say when you're putting something out there long term, like it's easier to do like um, Snapchat videos, for example, um, because they're gonna disappear in 24 hours. But if you're doing something that's gonna be there, like for the, for you know, as long as that it's gonna be there for years. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking more self consciously, like people are gonna see this, or maybe it's not good, maybe it's not interesting. So maybe my own doubts about being on camera. Sure. Um, but more about your work, scared. though, not necessarily about you. You're more worried not that you're... About... Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. Like, my impact. Is this interesting to people? Like, am I actually making content that people relate to? Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of, like, self-doubts in my head. Or is this is this something that you would watch, for example, with your family? Or, mm. you know, like, these little thoughts that we have. Kind of like the angel and the demon sitting on our shoulders. Sure. Like, um, is this good? Is this bad? So, yeah. yeah. How did you? That kind of thing. How did you work around that initially? And was it just a period of, in the beginning, you kind of just you know powered through it and sort of dealt with it? Yeah. And then after yeah. you're like, here are my techniques, and you kind of figured it out. Honestly, like if you're doing YouTube, where you're making some kind of content, I feel like your first couple of vlogs are going to be really bad because you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're hesitant. You're scared. Yeah. But like the more vlogs you do, like now I have 25. So like there's some I had, there's some I had in the beginning that were really, uh, they, they were cringe to be fair. Yeah. 
Yeah. But um, I mean, of course, it's like you with your podcast. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sure the first couple of episodes you were like, um, hi, um, you know, you were kind of like hesitant. And sure. Stuff. Yeah, but, totally. But then like when you got into it, you were like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm saying. I know how I'm going to interview people. I'm going to do this and this and this. So I feel like it's just, it's time that makes you better. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, I don't know, what are your, I guess, intentions with uh, more content that you create? You said, actually, never mind. Scratch that. I want to get into, <laughs> okay. um, I want to yeah. switch it to tattoos. I think in America, the perception of tattoos isn't necessarily super taboo anymore, the same way that it might have been in uh, previous times. What I would want to know is what got you into tattooing and then sort of what is the perception when you walk down the street and people see your tattoos how do they view you and then i guess lastly i don't want to do three questions but when you travel how are your tattoos perceived okay um what got me into tattoos is that my mom has a tattoo Mm. so um (laughs) yeah she's a pretty cool 21st century mom um so she had a tattoo she got it when i was nine um, so I knew as a child, like when I'm going to get my tattoos, no one's going to stop me. Like, you can't tell me no, if you have one, you know? Yeah. So it was okay. kind of like <laughs> that rebellion in me. Sure. And then, um, my cousins have tattoos. Um, so I come from a tatted family, you know, like people have tattoos. So for me and my family, it wasn't seen as like, oh my God, I have tattoos. It's a taboo. Mm. You're going to hell for this, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was like, it was super like accepted. But um, in African culture, it, it's not. It's the opposite. It's really bad um, because people who are really religious, um, I think there was, this, there was a survey that said that 19 to 95% of Africans are religious people. So that could be either Christian or Muslim. Mm. Um, so with religion being dominant in our societies, um, it doesn't advocate for tattoos or tattoo culture. So it's still seen as very bad in many households. Um, some kids are discommunicated. I mean, excommunicated from their families just because of having tattoos, which I think is really wrong because it's just a way of expression, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you do that to people with tattoos? Anyways, um, when I travel, um, when I travel, people, I mean, especially like to Western countries or like in Asia, or Europe, I haven't been to America yet, but like, it's normal. Like, no one cares. But when I walk down the street with tattoos in Kenya, there's still like some people who like glance at me, like, oh my God, that girl has tattoos. Or like, um, you know, it's still, still being accepted, but in the society, but a lot of people now are having the balls to get their own tattoos, especially like the young adults, like people who are in the, like from 25 upwards or like even from 20 upwards. So it's, it's being accepted pretty well now by them, but by the older generation, it's still like you cannot get more tattoos or you're going to hell for this. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, I think it's interesting. um, Is your family, I guess you said were a little bit more, is it fair to say like upper middle class or a little bit more upper class to an extent? So all of you yeah. had tattoos, even though it's perceived negatively by society, which seems like somewhat of a opposite of what you would see in America. You would see like upper middle class, high class people or whatever, you know, 
traditionally were the people that didn't have tattoos and, you know, wore suits and stuff. And then you have the quote unquote lower class or blue collar people would be the ones that had tattoos. And that's been the perception. And then also in like Japan and stuff, you know, I think that's internationally is sort of a general idea. So it's really interesting to see that, I guess you guys were more rebellious and able to just, you know, I guess go against the grain. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, like my mom, um, she, I'm actually making a vlog about my tattered family. It's going to be out on Monday. But she was telling me about like how she received a lot of stigmatization from other mothers her age, you know, like, um, and how people were telling her how she's going to go to hell and stuff. And it's, it's just crazy because here, I, I honestly can't tell you any other old person that I know who has like tattoos because I, I don't. But um, also in Africa, we're very, very, very influenced by your culture, by Western culture. Mm-hmm. So like if um, your rappers that are really hot right now, um, like if there's a viral song, we know about it. Like it's, I don't even know. People in Kenya think they're part of America. I, I don't know why. Like we embrace your culture so much. So maybe even that has a big part to play of why my family like are big on tattoos because mm-hmm. like Western culture really influences people in Africa a lot. Sure. A lot. Yeah. Is your family influenced by like music and films and art? And is that something that you also grew up with? Dude, I grew up watching Hollywood films. Um, wow. My dad, my dad and I would listen to classical music because I also played instruments as a child. Mm. I can play the piano and the cello. Um, so it was I grew up very Western, Western, like I was very influenced by Western culture. Sure. Um, but now people in Africa are learning that like we need to not forget where we come from. Like having yeah. roots is so important. So like now people are really going back to their roots, looking back at what did my tribesmen do? What did mm-hmm. we wear? So people were wearing more car prints which is like, um, you know, like the African patches that you see on clothes. Um, so those are Ankara prints. Um, people are also learning their mother tongue more because when we were colonized by the British, um, they made us forget a lot of our culture. So people are starting to see the fundamental um, impact of knowing who you are and knowing where you come from, even in Africa. Um, and also something I want to talk about. I'm sorry, I keep digressing. <laughs> no, 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 you feel free. <laughs> I just wanted to say that like black people were made slaves, um, but as Africans, we were colonized. Mm. Um, and a lot of people forget that we also had to go through a lot, a lot of like oppression for hundreds and hundreds of years until we gained our independence in the 60s and 50s and 70s. Mm. So, like, Kenya gained independence in 1963. Wow. Um, and we were colonized for since this, like, the 1800s, you know? Mm-hmm. So, there was a lot of hardship and how we had to fight for freedom as well. I, um, our rebels were called the Mau Mau. They were um, the rebel group who were actually our freedom fighters. They were termed the rebel group, but they had to go through a lot of hardships and pain. And we're still waiting for reparations from the British government. But wow. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Wait, like so knowing in, your history. 1963, yeah? Or is that what you said? Yeah. 1963. Yeah. So I would imagine your, maybe not your 
parents, but maybe your oh, maybe your parents, and then your grandparents were my my grandparents were born. Yes, like it's it's just like two generations from me, and some people's parents were born Mm -hmm. during colonialism. Like my dad was born um just after we gained independence, but my grandparents were born before you know before they gained independence. So there's still a lot of stigma, you know, with that generation and the generation above them, you know, like with great grandparents if they're still alive. Yeah. About the atrocities that they face. Sure. Um did you hear any stories from your grandparents about those experiences and do you have any that you're willing to share? Yeah, like I mean, um with the Mau Mau, especially anybody who was thought to be a rebel, they were castrated. Um, and they were sent to like hard labor camps um, to do all the British, like basically the dirty work that was there. They they were like slaves. You know how slaves in America were treated? It was exactly the same here in Africa. Um, so the white man, okay, I shouldn't say the white man because I don't feel like all white people are bad. You sure. know, like yeah. um, the colonialists, mm. the colonialists came and Basically, they took all the land that Africans had. They took all their prized possessions. They took every single thing and they took that land and then they herded Africans into zones. So um, they took all the prime land. So even now, there's still issues with land because um, division didn't come fairly. You still find a lot of like ex colonialists owning a lot of land in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would rape women. Um, they would take children and train them. So that's also how education came into the country. Um, basically it's how there were house, you know how in America you guys had like house slaves and field slaves. Mm. So in Africa it was exactly the same thing, but the house slaves that benefit, I mean the house employees kind of, they were, they benefited the most because they got access to education. Mm. So the colonialists came with a gun and a Bible. And you have to choose, yeah. either die or follow them. Right. So, uh, yeah. so yeah. I mean, still now religion is huge in Africa, like I said before. Um, yeah, I hope that's expounded a bit more on colonialism. But there's a lot, like it's in the archives, it's in history. Um, but something pretty interesting that happened in that period was that I don't know if you've ever heard of the Man Eaters of Sabo. Hmm. Um, there's a movie called The Ghost in the, D- in the Darkness by Val Kilma and Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. It's like in 1996. So basically um, in Savo, um, which is a part in Kenya where it's like a national park. So there's a lot of like wild animals like elephants and lions. There were these two lions that were killing people and lions are not man-eaters. They eat other animals. But they, were, they ate, I think, over 168 people. Wow. while they were building the British Railway. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot of um, films about Kenya. You can watch that one. You can watch Out of Africa by um, Meryl, Str- Meryl Strip and um can't remember who else. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I guess on yeah. that note, what were some... I'm super interested. Uh, you said you grew up watching movies from Hollywood and listening to like Western music. What were some of the yeah. like films that you remember and that you really loved growing up? Oh my gosh. How did... <laughs> I literally, t- to this day, I watch a lot, a lot of Hollywood movies. I, 
I, I can't even name. Okay, I'll try naming a couple. Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. We're all leaves on Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all of the Harry Potters, Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, uh, wow, there's a lot of movies that I like. I, I honestly can't name all of them. There's really a lot. I like a lot of mystery movies or suspense movies. Sure. So um, I like... Uh, Wow, there's a lot of movies I've watched, but I also grew up on classic, like, um, country movies, kind kind of about cowboys. Mm-hmm. So like, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, wow, there's a lot. Tombstone. Like literally, I I've watched most of your films. I mm. I can't even. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about? Yeah like Western media in that sense. I mean, you're a fan of the films and you've watched them, but I guess growing up and even now, do you see those movies and kind of look at it and see, wow, there's not too much representation of people of color in these films. And it's predominantly white people in most, if not, you know, like majority of the films. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I feel like that was there a lot in the, um, the late 90s and early 2000s, even late 2000s, um, representation of people of color is like it was it was really scarce. And then the the people of color who were there were mixed race, so it wasn't really accurate of a depiction of how most of Black people or Africans really look like. But mm. now, um, in the now beginning of the 20s, um, you can see a lot more representation of African people and black people. The only issue I have with like um, Western media and representation is that they don't actually choose Africans or do the right African accent. Like there's mm. this weird Hollywood accent that's supposed to be an African accent, but it's not. Mm. So <laughs> that's the only issue I have right now. But in terms of representation, I would say people have um, the Hollywood scene has really, 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 really improved. Um, from what it used to be. And I think also, you know, when you're born with a certain skin tone, you don't choose it, you know? Yeah. Like, you, you didn't choose to be born, for example, as Hispanic or Black or white. You know, you were just, you just found yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, when there was that representation of very fair people representing, like, Black people, um, like the mixed-race people, I don't have anything against them, but like it made the darker, like black people feel like they don't belong, you know, like mm. they don't, they're not beautiful or they don't have a voice in the media. So, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's really improved though a lot. Yeah. Sure. Do you, um, I guess on the same note with music, um, growing up, what were kind of like the music that you listened to? You said classical, but did you, I don't, did you guys get into more like popular music and stuff too when you're growing up? Of course, of course. We listen to my family loves films and music, so we listen to a lot of hip hop, um, <laughs> pop music. Uh, Rihanna was my favorite musician for a really long time. I still am waiting for the next album. Um, I listen to a lot of indie. Indie is actually my favorite music genre. Um, I'm eclectic, so I listen to practically everything. Um, there's nothing I don't like listen to. Um, and also, you know, with Netflix being in Kenya, mm. um, we have access to all these 
Western movies so and and content. Also, like in my teens, I was super, super addicted to series. Like I was obsessed with Game of Thrones. I don't know if that was you as well, but like yeah, the ending totally. was really trash for me. Mm-hmm. The, the ending just really, it was trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I mean, we're, you know, when you think about it, like <clears throat> Africans and Western people, we're like, we have the same ambitions and dreams. Yeah. Like people are all tuned in to the same stuff because like, I mean, there's the internet. Like right now, if I wanted to know something about, um, let's say the US, all I have to do is just Google it. Mm-hmm. And there's network and there's mm-hmm. Wi-Fi, so of course I can. And if you wanted to know something about Kenya, you know, you can just Google it and you get the answer. So yeah. I mean, we're exactly the same, like in terms of films, um, in terms of like music, even culture, like it's crazy how like Kenyans know so much about Western gossip or like what's going on, like with your celebrities, even more than we know of our own. Like it's it's crazy. That is, yeah. So, I think, um, yeah. I think it's important for you to say um, everything that you just said. You know, I think for a lot of people, when they're you know going to be listening to this, they're going to be like, "Wow, you know, like those are my favorite movies growing up. Those are my favorite bands growing up. Those are my dreams, my aspirations." You know, and it's like you might be thousands of miles away, but you guys still have yeah. you know similar connections. We have the and, same dreams, mm-hmm. and the sad thing is that the opportunities that we face as people, I think that's the only, that's the only sad part because so many people in Africa will never have the chance like to really be or accomplish some of these dreams, not because of their, not because of their like um, abilities, but just because of circumstance. I mean, there's a lot of foundations that do good work. Don't get me wrong. Like um, with scholarship foundations that send kids abroad to study and, in top universities or like scouts that come, you know, internationally to come to Kenya and scout a lot of like the athletes. I, I hope you guys know that Kenya is really big on like athletics. If you watch the world cup, like mm-hmm. most of the runners are like Kenyans long distance. Um, but you know, the sad thing is that happens to a um, select few, yeah. not everybody. Mm-hmm. So when you, like some are selected and they go out there and shine, but the rest are left here and they have to figure it out for themselves. Sure. So that's the only unfortunate thing. But I think we should just give thanks. Like I'm really big on personal development. I don't know what your take is on religion. Mm-hmm. So I'm like a deist, which is pretty like much uh, kind of a taboo not to be a religious person in Africa. But you know, here I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really believe in manifestation and the law of attraction. So I always say like, it's good to focus on the good um, and gratitude and just being grateful for what, whatever you have, despite your religion or your political affiliations and beliefs. Because when you focus on like gratitude or the good things in your life or anything good happening for you, then, you know, more good comes into your possession. Yeah. Definitely. No, I 100% agree. I think um, I think over here it isn't as taboo to be not religious. I think it's you know relatively common. I think a lot of my friends are atheists or majority aren't really too religious. Um, but that being said, I totally understand the whole concept of you know just I guess you know um, I don't know at the end of the day just you know being a decent and good human being and exactly that's that's all that really matters. Like despite your religious affiliations or not. 
um, just being good to people, you know, not doing harm to anybody. I think that's important. Yeah. Also giving thanks like to, you know, that you're alive, like 500,000 plus people have died from coronavirus and you're still here, you know, like that's, yeah. that's a big <clears throat> thing. Like people are just going left, right and center. So like even life today, it's really important. Yeah. Here in Kenya, it came in March. So it was actually from a lady who came from America. I think she was like escaping um, the 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 mass amount of people who were contracting the virus. So um, it came in March, and it's been here ever since. And the numbers are just growing. But the issue is our government, the way they're the way they're handling the situation. So in Kenya, we have a history of debt with this new um, regime that's in right now. So um, they've been taking loans from the World Bank, from the European Union, and it's, it's horrible. So we just maximize on debt and the relief, like the food relief that's supposed to go to the hardship areas is not getting to them. There's been a lot of police brutality. There's been a lot of, you know, a lot of issues where people have lost their jobs and people are really, really having a hard time just aching, aching out their day. Um, or living day to day. So with us, they started with like an immediate lockdown. It was like, I think it was more of a fear that the, the government saw with like other countries. So they locked down the country. Um, they banned traveling with the major cities, which is Nairobi and Mombasa. And it's been on for like a couple of months. I think maybe March, April, May, June, four months. And then um, a couple weeks ago, like three weeks ago, the president said that we could now start to move again. Mind you, our cases were like in the hundreds, right? I don't right. think he should have locked up the country. Like, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Like when you look at America, even New York, with hundreds of thousands of people having coronavirus, um, it was a bit intense. And then now he's opened up the country and and he's like opening up domestic fights and stuff. But it's horrible because now the cases are literally skyrocketing. Mm. How do you lock up a country when you have like hundreds of cases or thousands of cases, not in the hundreds of thousands, and then you like open it when it's in, you know, it's in a lot of numbers. Yeah. So I, I, I just, I don't understand how our government is dealing with it. Sure. But, and, and also another thing is like here, you know, getting the disease here, you're basically on your own because the hospitals are full. People are dying in their cars before they get to hospital. Hospitals are not allowing people to, with the disease to even enter now. You're being advised to do home care. Mm-hmm. And at least, you know, in the in the Western countries, you guys have systems in place. Like I've been emphasizing this whole podcast. You guys should be grateful that you have a healthcare system that works, that no matter who you are, you know, you'll be taken care of. Here, our capacity is... It's, to run its limits so you find a lot of the expats here a lot of foreigners have head back to their own countries because our country cannot it cannot handle the virus basically Mm. and also like politicians are taking advantage of the large amounts of money in the country and they're you know they're they're just taking it for themselves here it's just people literally only look out for themselves here it's Mm. not a we our society is not about we Right. I don't know if there's any society that's okay. I know all societies, most societies are capitalist, but here it's like, it's a bit more intense, yeah. you know? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Do you think um I don't know, how does that look from more of a personal level for you? Do you are you scared about what's happening with that? And are you scared for your like family and friends? And do you see mm. you know, if you were to get it or, you know, anything like that, how do you see your course of action to try to I don't know, get out of that? Oh, here um, in Kenya right now, it's just a whole money talks game because I would just do self-care at home because honestly, it doesn't matter who you are, but hospitals are full. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, like the past few, it's overwhelmed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what I would do if my family or friends got it, I, I would honestly just advise them to do like home care because I mean, more people who've gotten it have lived than died. So, I, I I don't know what, what any of this means. Maybe it's just the world cleansing itself, you know. Mm. And it's pretty random. It's kind of random, you know. It doesn't matter your societal status, your wealth. Whoever's going to get it and die, dies. Yeah. Whoever gets it and lives, lives. Because, mm. I mean, no one could predict this happening, you know. And, you know, like when there was that whole thing of 2012, like everyone thought the world would end, even the movie. Yeah. Like everyone was like, oh my God, the world is ending. <laughs> I really wish someone put a bet on 2020 because they would have won big time. Oh, for sure. But yeah. I don't think the <laughs> I don't think the world is ending though. I just feel like maybe it's it's just the world cleansing in itself. Plus every like 20th year of like a century, there's some weird like disease. Like in 1920, there was the Spanish flu. Mm. In 1820, there was something else. In 1720, there was something else. And it killed hundreds, like millions of people. And we're just here with like 500,000. Like, yeah. It's kind of good it's come now, though, because people have more access to the internet. Like, Imagine what you would be doing if it was 1950 and there's coronavirus. Like, you can't, you're, you're sending letters to people. Like, what? Yeah, totally. How would you have, enter- <laughs> how would you have entertainment? Like, you can't just go on Netflix then and be like, oh, wow something to do you know mm-hmm. so it's also kind of a good thing it's come at this time because we're more technologically advanced as humans yeah yeah so what is the i guess the future look for what you want to do as far as you know your blogging and um writing and stuff what do you i guess what is the yeah what's the future look like the future looks like me um I'm trying to tap into more like um, European and Western audiences just because I feel like I can survive there more than I can in my own home, which is so sad. And it really pains me to say that. Um, So I want to like focus more on tapping into like Western audiences. Um, I want to create more vlogs this year, especially more than blogs, because my, my blog was basically just a travel blog. But my vlog on YouTube has travel tattoos and lifestyle. So there's more of like a varied amount of content. Um, so yeah, I just want to get better at my craft, get better at my editing, get better at everything that I do. Yeah. I nice. hope that answers your question. Yeah, totally. Um, I think with, uh, with everything that you're doing, what would be, I guess, sort of the, the goal or the message behind your work what are your intention intentions and what the message you want to put out in the universe i want to put out the message to people 
that people in Africa are just the same as people in the Western world. I want to be stereotype or make the stereotypes that we're so different. I want to show them that not everybody in Africa is poor, living on the streets or needs aid. I want to show them that real creative, talented people can come from Africa and tell really cool, interesting, unique stories. Um, I just want to level up, you know, like put my place on the world map and show them like, yes, I'm Kenyan. Yes, I'm African, but I'm also this talented ex person and I can do this and this skill and this and this. So, um, yeah, just kind of proving, proving my, my worth. Basically, because also I feel like Africans or like people from my continent are really looked down on in terms of their skills. You know, we're always seen as like a handout instead of like something to offer. So I want to literally have my seat on the table and like have a place there for me. And I'm like, I can play, I can eat on an international arena. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I guess where can people find you and how do people reach out and connect with you and find all the cool stuff you're doing. Um, you guys can check me out on YouTube. It's Twenda Namwenda. There's spaces. If you have issues spelling that, there's literally a link below in the description of the podcast, I hope, right? Yeah, there will be. <laughs> um, also, with Instagram, you can look me up on Twitter. Um, Facebook, like, I'm there. And I speak English fluently, as you guys have heard. So, like, the whole language barrier thing is, like, not really there. Yeah. Cool. I guess, yeah, that's where you guys can find me. Perfect. Right on. Yeah, and your English is exceptional. You speak English better than half of my friends. So, yeah, 100%. <laughs> no, it's very, very good. I was awesome. Um, Thank cool. you. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. I you know, can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your story. And I hope, you know, we're able to give people a different point of view than what they're, you know, fed by other media outlets, you know. Thank you so much as well for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Double Life. As always, you can find all the information on my cool guests on the description below. Find all the links that you need to see more of their work. Head to thedoublelifepod.com for more information and make sure to subscribe and tell your friends. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you next week. Adios.